Uh, Please join me in your copy of God's Word in John chapter 3 as we uh, continue our series in the Gospel of John. Um, We'll read verses 1 through uh, 21, John chapter 3. Uh, If you're using one of the, the pew, chair, rack under the chair in front of you Bibles, we don't know what to call them. Uh, I use a different word every time. Uh, You'll find it on page uh, 888 or thereabout. Also, it is is our our regular normal practice to stand when we read God's Word. However, um, I sort of feel like 21 verses is kind of right on that limit. So... Um, just as a, as a reminder that, yes, we stand out of respect for God's word, but since we're not commanded to do it, we can this time not. Um, but would you please give uh, your attention uh, to the reading of God's word? Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we uh, thank you that you have 
uh, revealed to us your will for our salvation. We thank you that you have revealed to us your love for the lost, your means by which uh, determined before the foundation of the world we might be saved. Uh, We pray that you would use this, your word, uh, to conform us more and more into the image of Christ, uh, to grow us in our love for Christ and his word and his bride, the church. Uh, And would you uh, use it to strengthen and encourage our faith, uh, both for our good, uh, the good of those around us, and ultimately for your glory. For it's in Christ's name that we ask it. Amen. Um, I have, I'm sure, said this before. Um, But since um, maybe one or two of you haven't heard it, it's probably worth saying again. I'm no handyman. Uh, I don't fix things. I don't really know how to fix things. Um, I resonate with that uh, engineering flowchart, right? Does it move? Yes or no? Well, if it if it moves, then the next question, you know, is 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 it supposed to, right? And ultimately, you're left with sort of four choices, right? Either this is good, and that's two, right? If it, is it supposed to move? Yes. Does it move? Yes. So, is it supposed to move? Yes. Well, then you don't have a problem. Well, is it supposed to move? And the answer is no. Well, then WD forty is your option. And if that doesn't do it, you have to call for help. Uh, if it's not supposed to move, but it does, that's where duct tape comes in. And, and if that doesn't solve the problem, then, again, you call for help. That's kind of the extent of my repair work. Um, I, can, I can patch. I can, I, can, I can tinker with something that needs a little, you know, magic eraser, a screwdriver, a hammer, but if I have to kind of take something apart and, and redo it from the inside out, I'm done. You call somebody, you leave it on the curb, whatever it is. Um, just leave it lying in somebody, your neighbor's yard, whatever you have to do, because uh, I'm not going to be able to do anything with it. In a lot of ways, that actually sounds like our approach to our salvation, doesn't it? I mean, if you go and and you start talking to people about the gospel, you start talking to people about their need for Jesus, and they quickly start to think, hold on a second. If you've got a magic eraser and some WD-40 and some duct tape, I'm totally fixable. I'm really not that bad. I mean, I'm a whole lot better than some of these other people you know. I'm a whole lot better than my next-door neighbor. I'm a whole lot better than a whole bunch of other people in the world. And really all I need, I don't really need a complete overhaul. What I really need is just some, just some sprucing up. But this passage says that's not true. That even what we think of as the best of us needs not just a little duct tape, a little tape here and there, a little, little patching, a little spackling to sort of cover up a mark and to fill in a gap. No, what you need is a complete overhaul from the inside out. And that's the picture here in John 3. First, I want you to notice the situation. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He comes at night. Do what you want to do with that. The Bible doesn't tell us he was ashamed. It doesn't tell us he was afraid. It doesn't tell us he thought people wouldn't like him. It doesn't tell us anything. It just tells us that he comes at night. I don't know why. 
the Holy Spirit inspired John to write that if he wasn't going to tell us why, but so be it. Right? How often do we, right off the bat, just kind of have to throw our hands up and go, I, I, I trust that God knows exactly what he's revealing and why he's revealing it, and it is for me as it is. But Nicodemus comes to him at night, and he comes, did you notice, he comes with not a question. Now, I read it as a question. Like, I, I bump into that verse. I bump into verse 2. Like he's coming with a question, but it's not a question. Rabbi, teacher, we know you couldn't do these things if God wasn't with you. And, you're, well, hold on a second. That's, that's not a question. It's an, it's an odd sort of statement. I think it, it has a, a hint of, of question to it, but it's an odd sort of statement, so much so that even some commentators would think he's coming to challenge Jesus in some way. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. That is, that is not the same thing. That is two different things. So he's both a Pharisee and also part of the, the ruling class in Israel. You know the Pharisees, right? Meticulous in their law keeping. If... If, and if we were to give them, I mean, let's give them all the benefit of the doubt in the world, right? Let's give them all the kindness and grace we possibly can. Then what they're doing is essentially saying, well, if this is where God's law says to stop, we should probably make sure we clarify what this is. The, the Ten Commandments forbid adultery, so let's make rules and laws about what qualifies as um, as as modesty so that we can prevent adultery. Let's legislate modesty so we can prevent it. The, the law of God says don't work on the Sabbath. We probably ought to define work so that we can make sure we don't do it. Right? There, it's, you know, it's, it's imagine when you, if you have a, a pool, we've got several neighbors building pools. Um, it's supposed to be great when your neighbor, neighbors have pools. Uh, our kids are too old for that. But uh, our, we have several neighbors building pools. And, of course, if you have a pool, you have to have a fence around it. But nobody builds two fences. But that's what the Pharisees are doing. There, there's a fence. Of God, God's law is a fence. And it gives us freedom inside that fence. And the Pharisees say, hold on a second. We better not touch that fence. So let's build another one. And another one and another one and another one. And that's, that's being as gracious and kind as we can to the Pharisees. If their great desire is, look, if God's law says this is sin, I don't want to be anywhere close to that. And that's not a terrible motivation. But that became their trust. Their hope and their confidence was in their goodness. Their law-keeping, their obedience, their faithfulness. And so uh, Nicodemus is a part of a, a, a class of Jewish leader, of Jewish authority, of Jewish teacher whose great confidence is God's going to accept me because I don't do any of those things he told me not to do. See how great 
and wonderful I am. That's Nicodemus's problem. There's a, 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 a bigger problem, a, a little bit deeper problem. And we find in verses 18 to 20 that that problem also extends, that Nicodemus's situation extends to everyone. Now, I'm going to, this is an aside, and in the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't mean much. But in case you care, um, the thing with the red letter Bibles, right? You, you get the red words and you're like, those are Jesus's words. I actually think verses 16 to 21 aren't Jesus's words. I think that's John's word. Now, it's still Bible, right? Don't go. See, this is the problem. This is the real danger with the red light. Well, if Jesus said it, then it matters. If Jesus didn't say it, then it doesn't really matter as much, right? That's what the world around us starts to, to argue. Well, I don't care if that is in the Bible. Jesus never said it, so it doesn't really count, right? That's a wrong view of, of Scripture, but John, and he's going to do this again actually soon. Um, John gives a, 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 his own commentary, his own explanation of what just happened, of the interaction that Jesus just had with Nicodemus. And I think that's what he's doing in verses 16 to 21. But the point still stands. The situation that we find ourselves in in which we find ourselves, you English people out there in the world, is that whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever doesn't believe in Jesus is condemned, and he's already condemned because he doesn't believe. And, and why? What's the real problem? Verse 19, the light has come into the world, and people have loved the darkness rather than the light. That word love is that Greek word agape. It's not, it's not like. It's not prefers. It's that sort of devoted love. Agape love. You see, the problem is that our hearts want the darkness. Left to ourselves, what our hearts want, apart from God's grace, apart from a, a complete overhaul from the inside out, our problem is our inside wants the darkness. Our inside wants, for that matter, to reject the light and wants to run headlong into sin. This is, this is exactly what he said in, in the prologue, right? The light has come into the world and the world has not overcome it, has not grasped it, has not comprehended it. That's the situation. The problem is we can't be fixed by a little WD-40 or magic eraser or duct tape. The problem is uh, that our situation is bigger than that. It's more dangerous than that. And it involves more work than that. We need a complete overhaul. We need a new heart. We need new loves. That's the situation. Second, I want you to see the solution. Notice, um, notice what Nicodemus says about Jesus. 
Even if he means, even, even if this isn't a challenge, even if he isn't trying to be difficult, even if he isn't trying to sort of set up stumbling blocks for Jesus, even if he means everything he says in verse 2, notice what he doesn't say. We know you're a teacher come from God because no one can do the signs you do unless God is with him. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't just have God with him. He is God in the flesh. This was the whole point of the prologues, the whole point of John 1, 1 to 18, that God has come to us in the flesh, that the word was made flesh, the word who was God and remember was there when the beginning began to begin. The word was involved in that and created all things. No one's seen God, but the word who has come from the father's side makes him known. So there's this sense in which he, okay, I, I get it, Jesus, you're doing things and he's seen signs. It, it was there was the, the water into wine at the wedding, although there's no indication Nicodemus was there for that. There are other signs back at the end of chapter uh, 2, verse 23, that he has performed. Nicodemus knows about them, has seen them, whatever the case. Look, nobody can do what you're doing unless he's really better than the rest of us. But he doesn't give him the the full deity um affirmation confirmation he's not his faith and trust isn't in jesus as the son of god and so part of nicodemus's situation is he's not able to to see the kingdom of god verse three because he isn't seeing jesus with the eyes of faith he's seeing jesus with the eyeballs in his head but not with the eyes of faith and so the solution Jesus gives him in verse 3, he's got to be born again. He's, he's not going to enter the kingdom of God. He can't see the kingdom of God, verse 3. He can't enter the kingdom of God, verse 5, unless he is recreated, regenerated from the inside out. It requires new birth. And again, lest we assume, you know, there are places, right? The rich young ruler. One of the things we're grateful for about that passage, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. There was some other stuff before that. The conclusion was sell all your stuff and give to the poor. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. And, and we're grateful for the fact that that's not a universal like, the only way any of us could be saved would be to sell all our stuff. Like, I'm assuming none of you have sold all of your stuff and given all the money to the poor, and yet you're still confident in your salvation. Like, we know that that instruction to the rich young ruler isn't a universal truth for all of us. And so, perhaps we might do the same thing with Nicodemus. Well, he told Nicodemus to be reborn, but I'm good with magic eraser and duct tape. Nicodemus has to start over, but I'm not trusting in the law. I'm not trusting in my goodness. A little duct tape, a little, little spray paint, and I'm good to go. Except that the rest of the passage uh, creates a problem for us. First in verse 7, um, again, we have to petition Crossway. Crossway needs to publish the SSV. 
the Southern Standard Version. It would be greatly helpful right here. Look at verse 7. Do not marvel that I said to you, Nicodemus, you, plural, must be born again. See, in the Southern Standard Version of the Bible, we would, have, we would read, do not marvel that I said to you, y'all must be born again. And we would be done. We'd have no confusion whatsoever. The you in the command to be born again is plural. Y'all got to be born again. In fact, if you want to be really Southern, that's how you'd say it. So the, the problem isn't just Nicodemus's. It's, he's not the only one in this situation. He's not the only one who needs to be reborn. All y'all need to be reborn. All y'all need to be recreated from the inside out. Wasn't that our Old Testament reading? Did you notice Ezekiel 36? I'm going to take your heart of stone... And I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh. I'm going to sprinkle you with water and cleanse you. And I'm going to recreate you from the inside out. I'm going to give you new birth. I'm going to give you new life. I'm going to change your loves. By taking the old heart of darkness, heart of stone, and replacing it with a heart that now can respond in faith to Christ. That's that's the essence of regeneration. When we talk about regeneration, that's exactly what we're talking about. Where the spirit comes and takes your heart and then applies to steal the language of our affirmation of faith, applies the benefits which Christ has procured for us. How does that new heart respond? Well, did you notice verse 14? Your afternoon here you go. Your Sunday afternoon reading Numbers 21. Snakes in the camp. Not on the plane, in the camp. I would never watch that movie. As soon as Snake was in the title, I'm out. Judgment for sin. Judgment for rebellion. A snake bites you, you die. God told Moses, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to... Fashion a bronze serpent. I wonder how many people died while this fashion, this fashioning was taking place. Fashion this bronze serpent. You're going to stick it up on a pole and mount that pole in the camp. And then when people get bitten by a snake, they can look to that serpent and they won't die. Do you see what Jesus says in verse 14? I'm that bronze serpent. When you look to me lifted up on a pole, the cross... In faith, because that's exactly, I mean, what is it about that serpent that saves you? Except it's not that serpent up on the pole. It's that you looked at all. Because let's be honest. A snake bites me on the ankle, on the calf. I'm going to do a whole lot of things besides figure out where that serpent is so I can look at it. Right? That. We think that sounds crazy. But to look at it is an exercise of faith. It's an exercise of trusting that God's promise to save me from this serpent bite is, is going to happen because he said it would. 
That's exactly what Jesus is saying in verse 14. The, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up just like that serpent. And when you look to me in faith, you too will live. You too will be delivered from judgment for sin. That's the essence of faith. And then you get to this passage, this verse, for God so loved the world. And you can understand so a couple of ways. Because there are a couple of people in this room that care about this. You know, if you go to Ligonier Ministries website, you can get um, commentary recommendations, right? Well, my favorite two, I checked it this week. My favorite two John commentaries are one and two on their list. They don't agree on the word so in this passage. One thinks it's an intensifier. God loved the world this much. And another one says it's, he loved them, the world this way as to give his son. I think the second makes the most sense in this context. But the point is simple. That the arrival of the Son in the world is evidence of God's love and commitment to save. And the reality is the way John uses the word world, it's not a vastness term. It's not a, it's not a surprise because... God, you know, the world is so big, it's a surprise because the world is so bad. That's the aim of John's use. The shock isn't that God loves so many people. The shock is that he loves such rebellious people. Jesus has come to prove the love of the Father and to accomplish our salvation. His blood, His righteousness are my beauty. They are my glorious dress. That's what we sang just a few minutes ago. So the, the solution to the problem is a new heart. The solution to the situation is regeneration. We need a, a complete overhaul from the inside out and only then can we respond in faith. The situation, the solution, and finally, the source. How does this happen? Where does this come from? Um, because Nicodemus has a reasonable question, right? And this isn't the first time that people in Jesus' presence heard him use an earthly illustration, illustration and miss the point. In the previous passage, the temple wasn't the building the temple it was jesus the temple well here it's not physical rebirth it's a spiritual rebirth <clears throat> but nicodemus comes with the benjamin button question right you can't be born when you're old like that's not how this works so how is it that that we're to be Born again. Where does this new heart come from? What's the source? Well, the reality is birth is a perfect illustration. It's a perfect comparison because here's the thing. How much <clears throat> participation, how much say-so did you get in your birth? Did you get to choose your birthday? 
Did you get to choose your DNA? Did you get to choose um, your eye color? How much involvement, how much say-so, you didn't choose your parents, you didn't choose anything. We can prove it, right? The, the number of times I hear ladies with straight hair longing for curly hair and talk about how long it takes to get their hair curly. And ladies with curly hair talking about how long it takes to straighten their hair and kind of wish they could from time to time proves the point. Right? If we all think, well, man, if I had those genes and not these genes, suggest we would have chosen those genes. Why didn't you? Because you can't. That's the point. That's the picture of regeneration. That's the picture of this rebirth that Jesus is talking about. Just as we are dependent on others for our first birth, we are dependent on others for our second. Look at verse 5, for example. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Do you hear the echo? If you don't, it means you were just barely trying to keep up in Ezekiel 36. Add that to your Sunday afternoon reading assignment. Go back and reread the Old Testament reading. Sprinkle you with water. A picture of cleansing, of the need for cleansing. And then I will give you my spirit. He's, he's looking back. This isn't so much baptism and spirit. This is looking back to Ezekiel 36. That's why he rebukes Nicodemus, right? In verse 10, you're a teacher of the law and you don't see this? You're a teacher of the law and you can't make the connection from the old covenant promises to Jesus the Messiah? Water signifies our our cleansing from impurity. The Spirit signifies that heart transformation needed in order to fully follow God. Or look at verse 8. Again, he uses the wind as an illustration. You, you can't control the wind. You can't see the wind. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. You say, hold on a second. I see the trees that fall down when the wind blows. That's not the wind. That's the effect of the wind. I see the sand blowing on the beach. Not, still not the wind. It's the effect of the wind. And so part of his point here is just as the wind moves where it will, so the Spirit does the same. That's how the Spirit works. He sovereignly moves according to the plan laid out by the Father and the Son. He changes hearts and you can't see where he's come from or where he's going but you can see the effects of his work. That's why even the wind is this great picture, this great illustration of regeneration. Nicodemus, it seems, wants to justify himself. He wants to, to save himself. And Jesus reminds him and he reminds us that our salvation is all of God's grace and not by our works. Let me make a couple of applications uh, from this passage. The first is sort of a, a tangent, but it's still 
is connected and needs to be said. The first is this. John 3.16 is not a verse about who can be saved. It's a verse about how anyone can be saved. It's a verse not about who can be saved. Don't, don't overemphasize that whoever. The whoever here doesn't mean the way you and I mean whoever when we say, hey, look, I'm having people over Friday night after the high school football game. Whoever wants to come can come. That's not the word here. The word is a participle of the verb to believe, meaning those who believe, the believing ones, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that those who believe, the believing ones believing in him should not perish. Is it true that whoever believes in Christ won't perish and have eternal? Absolutely it is. But it's not a verse about who can be saved. Well, it says whoever, so we'll throw it, throw it wide open. It's a verse about how anyone is saved at all. Here's the, here's the application. Here's the implication of that. Theology is done at the concept level, not the word level. You don't grab an English word out of your English Bible and then build an entire system around that word. You take the concept and the concept of the passage isn't whoever, the way we mean whoever. The concept of the passage is the only way to be saved is by looking to Christ, lifted up on the pole and trusting in him for your salvation. A second application. Uh, our call to salvation is for everybody. You have no idea where the Spirit might be working and might not be working. You have no idea. You can't see it. People who are going to respond in faith to your evangelism, they don't have some weird tattoo on their forehead that gives them away. The Spirit works where the Spirit works. We go to everybody we know and offer salvation in Christ and Him alone. This message of salvation is for everybody because whoever looks up to the Son on the cross will be saved. A third application, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, isn't just a New Testament concept. In fact, I'm going to add more to your Sunday afternoon reading assignment. Now you have Numbers 21 and you have Ezekiel 36. You might as well keep reading into Ezekiel 37. The Valley of Dry Bones. The bones that have been lying there dead and dry that God brings back to life again as an illustration of what He just said in Ezekiel 36. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in the Messiah alone, is a whole Bible concept, not just a New Testament one. That's exactly what Jesus is teaching here in John 3. We are those bones in need of the sovereign grace of Christ to be made alive in Him. And then lastly, just to sort of echo the point, I don't know anybody 
who's tried to tinker with the words to amazing grace. I was half tempted to sing that. We're gonna, the song we're going to sing in response to the sermon is a, is a prayer asking the Spirit to go do His thing, as it were. Nobody's ever tried to write pretty cool grace. Um, how sweet the sound that saved a guy who just needed a little bit of magic eraser and duct tape like me. I once was a little bit confused and distracted. I needed some glasses, but I could see kind of a little bit. See, none of this rhymes, right? This would be a terrible song. Maybe I should have spent some time on actually rewriting it. That's what we mean by salvation is all of God's grace. It is all of God's grace from beginning to end, from determination to accomplishment to application to from, from before the foundation of the world until our feet are set on Canaan's happy shore. It is all of God's grace. May we learn more and more to actually sing and mean amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And let's praise and honor and glorify Him for His work in our lives. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You that You have determined from the, before the foundation of the world that You will deliver to Yourself a people. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank You for uh, accomplishing that salvation, even as we sang a few minutes ago, uh, by Your blood and Your righteousness, that we're washed in Your blood uh, but we put on your righteousness to be our own. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for your work in blowing like the wind where you will and accomplishing and applying that salvation accomplished by Christ to us. To changing hearts of stone, replacing them with hearts of flesh so that we might respond in faith. Would you now carry the truth of that gospel in us so that we might be humble and not arrogant and proud of our standing before you, but humble because we are undeserving of it. Would you make us evangelists of that same gospel? Because the reality is no one is already good enough and no one is so bad that they are unredeemable. Would you go before us, O Holy Spirit? Work in hearts. Prepare soil to receive the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And to respond in faith and to bear much fruit. For we ask all of this in Christ's holy name. Amen.